in the Saviour's name to our adult Sunday school this morning. And we're going to, we'll commence in prayer and we'll, we'll seek the Lord uh, together. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we thank thee we can come today on thy day to meet with thee. We thank thee we can lift our voices to thee, seeking thy help and thy grace and seeking, O God, the power of thy spirit here amongst us. We pray that as we come and consider afresh some of the history of thy church, thou would bless, and thou would lead us and instruct us. Lord, we pray that we would be stronger in our faith and more knowledgeable concerning the great errors of the day. We do remember the children downstairs, Lord, bless them, meet their needs, bless the teachers. We pray for the families of our congregation that each one would know household salvation and know the moving of God in each home. Lord, bless us here as we meet on thy day, and may we glorify thee in all that we do, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Returning this morning to... to Readings. The first is First Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19, and we're dealing with in this passage Elijah. Elijah, the man of God. The sole man of God in his mind. And of course Elijah thought he was the only one left who loved the Lord and served the Lord, the last prophet. Uh, but that was not so. <coughs> First Kings chapter 19, we'll commence at verse 9. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What dost thou hear? Doest thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken my, thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth, and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break it in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake a fire, the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out, and stood in the entering in of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him, and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Fabel, Mahola, 
shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Then we turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. And we'll read from verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of thy womb, I sanctified thee. And I, adore, I, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have set thee, uh, see, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious word this morning. In the passages that we've read together, we have one particular man in view in each passage. We have Elijah, firstly, in 1 Kings chapter 19. And then in Jeremiah, we have, of course, Jeremiah himself. And both these men were called of God. They're on their own. Elijah thought that it was only him who stood against the enemy and stood against uh, those who opposed the Lord. Uh, but the Lord reminded him that there were still 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Jeremiah uh, was anointed by the Lord to stand. There's no mention here of anyone else standing alongside him. And he had a great purpose to preach the Lord's word, to preach God's words. As we see in verse 9, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And in verse 10, he had a great mission and purpose from the Lord. See, I have this day set thee over the nations. <laughs> and over the kingdoms, to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And Jeremiah's purpose here was very clear. He was to preach the word. He was to root out, pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant through the preaching and through the teaching of the word of God in his role as a prophet. He was to stand against that which was wrong that which was untrue, and to set forth the Word of God. Both these men, uh, for many or their ministry, worked alone. And that reminds us of Athanasius of Alexandria. He lived from 296 to 373 AD. He was the bishop of the church in Alexandria, and he was referred to by Gregory as the pillar of the church, a man of truth, a man of conviction, a man who the Lord set up to root out and to pull down and to destroy, 
and to throw down, to build, and to plant. He stood against the error of his day, and he stood for the truth of God. He was born into a wealthy Christian household in Alexandria, which is in Egypt, one of the major cities in Egypt, known for its port. And it, of course, was an important cultural center and a place of learning within the ancient world. His parents were wealthy and able to give him a good education, though he was not a high-ranking member of society. Andrea was known for its library. It had a school that sought to teach, and that later became the model for the European university system, the early universities. Gregory said that he was brought up from the first in religious habits and practices. After a brief study of, the, of literature and philosophy so that he might not be utterly unskilled in such subjects or ignorant of matters which he had determined to despise, for his generous and eager soul could not brook being occupied in vanities like unskilled athletes who beat the air instead of their antagonists and lose the prize. From meditating on every book of the Old and New Testament with a depth such as none else has applied even to one of them, he grew rich in contemplation, rich in splendor of life. Rufinius tells the story of how Alexander, who was the bishop of Alexandria, and of course going back to last week in the Council of Nicaea, Alexander was one of the key figures there. Arius opposed him, and eventually a council was set up at Nicaea. Alexander attended. Athanasius was a deacon within the church and his assistant at that council. Uh, but Alexander looked out of his window toward the sea and saw several boys playing at baptism. They had, they had witnessed baptism within the church, and so they wanted to play out baptism the same way, I don't know, that children might see a police chase or see a police chase on television, and therefore uh, the little brother is the bank robber. He's trying to get away from the police. The older brother is the policeman, and he's chasing, and they've all sorts of activities going on. Uh, but they were playing at church. I remember many years ago uh, that, well, I, I played at church. I know some ministers play at church. Uh, we could maybe say that about some places where uh, the Word of God does not have the central place it ought to have. Uh, but I remember being five, six years of age, setting up uh, the teddy bears and my sister's dolls, and, well, we had a religious service and preached to them. I don't think I recommend uh, playing at church. It is a serious thing. Uh, but in your childhood uh, imaginations, uh, that is what can often happen. And uh, some of these boys uh, played at baptism, and they had seen it, and they decided they would act it out. Perhaps not the best thing to do uh, because of the solemnity of it, uh, but Alexander sent for them, discovered that one of the boys had acted as the bishop, Athanasius, and he invited him and his friends to train for ministry within the church, and he became a deacon in 319. He attended the Council of Nicaea when he was 27 years of age. He was a deacon and assistant, as we've said. But not long after he became a deacon, uh, Arius challenged the Orthodox faith with the heresy that became known as Arianism. 
Uh, the disagreement and promotion started with Arius and Alexander, as we saw last week. Arius believed that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was made. He was created at a certain point in time and not begotten by the Father. And in light of his debates with the Arians and his struggle against the Roman emperors, he was known as Athanasius Contra Mundum, which means it's Latin for Athanasius against the world. Jerome said that the whole world groaned and found itself Arian. He, Athanasius, even suffered an unjust excommunication from Pope Liberius, who was exiled and leaned toward compromise until he was allowed back to the Sea of Rome. Athanasius stood virtually alone against the whole world. One historian said that in his opposition to Arianism, he became the principal defender of orthodoxy in his generation. And because of his unyielding stand, he has been labeled the father of orthodoxy and the saint of stubbornness. And how we need a stubbornness within the church of Christ and not uh, just uh, a stubbornness uh, amongst people that we can frown upon. That's not the stubbornness uh, that we have in view. But a stubbornness in the sense that we know the truth, we believe the truth, and nothing is going to come between us and believing and hearing and practicing the truth of God. Athanasius knew the truth, believed the truth, taught the truth, and no one else was going to persuade him otherwise. He loved the truth, and he stood for it. How easy it would have been to turn around and say, well, I'll just go with the flow. We're going to consider the Irish minister, Dr. Henry Cook, and his battle against Arianism next Lord's Day, God willing. And he was exactly the same. One man, a saint of stubbornness, who stood firm in the face of all this heresy, and yet while friends and people he knew uh, did not take the matter as serious as he did, firstly, and that is a problem we see in churches and we see within the Christian faith, there are those who do not take these matters seriously. They don't care. Quite simply, they don't care. People do what they want. Let them believe what they want. Let them practice what they want. And we can live in peace. Because otherwise, if we are standing against them, it causes division. And people fail to realize that it is not those who stand for truth who cause division. It's those who move against it. Those who move against it. If I said that our church does not believe in Aryan doctrine today, we oppose it. And everyone here stood up and said, but Arian doctrine is scriptural and it's true. And pastor, we want to debate right now between you and us. And we're going to show you that you're wrong and your church is wrong. And we're going to sort this matter out. Who's causing division that'll spill over throughout our entire Lord's Day and into the future? It's not the pastor who's holding to that which is truth. It's those who are denying. Now, they might believe it's truth. But the Word of God is our final authority in those things. And so, too often, too often within church history, there are those who don't care. They don't take error and heresy seriously. Athanasius stood 
largely on his own, so did Henry Cook, because other good men did very little to help. They didn't want to put their necks on the line for this. They didn't want to cause division. They didn't want the conflict. And so history remembers the name Athanasius. In Ireland, we remember the name Dr. Henry Cook because of the stand that was taken in the midst of a general flow went toward error and heresy. And we also need to be aware that within the church of Christ, this can happen. It happened time and time again. It happened here in the 300s. It's happened throughout history. It's happened in the 1800s, 1700s, 1800s in Ireland, where heresy came in and a stand needed to be taken for Christ. Let us not think that because we're in a church, that we're in a church that believes the truth, that has a statement of faith, that is clear on the truth, that all is well. All is well. Let us battle for the truth. Let us believe it and practice it and love it and stand for it. Because how easily the devil can come in and destroy that truth. In 328, Athanasius replaced Alexander as the bishop of Alexandria. The story is told that when he was on his deathbed, he called Athanasius, who subsequently fled, fearing that he might be made the next bishop of Alexandria. As his successor was to be chosen, the Christian population gathered together, and they cried, Give us Athanasius. Give us Athanasius. And during his time as bishop, he spent over 17 years in five exiles that had been ordered by four different Roman emperors. He fled Alexandria on another six separate occasions for the sake of his life. There's a group of individuals, Miletius, his followers, who failed to abide by the First Council, <coughs> by the first council of Nicaea. And uh, that council... Uh, also had placed an anathema upon those who believed and promoted Arian doctrine. Athanasius was accused of mistreating these heretics and was disposed, uh, disposed by the first synod of Tyre in 335 by several supporters of Arius. And so, even though the council had made the decision, even though there was an anathema upon those who believed Arian doctrine, it was still sprinkled, as it were, throughout the church, and they still had a great influence in certain places. And later that year, both sides met with the emperor uh, in Constantinople. The Arians made claims that Athanasius would seek to cut off essential supplies from Egypt to Constantinople, and as a result of these accusations, he was found guilty and sent into exile in Gaul, or what is modern-day France. And so we see something here. This is a religious debate about doctrine, and those who opposed uh, Athanasius, those are Arians, made claims that this man was now going to take his battle outside the realm of the church, into the political realm, into the sphere of economics as well. And there were supplies that Constantinople needed, and Athanasius was going to use his power and influence to stop this, and to stop them receiving the supplies that were essential. And so it is believed to be lies 
Uh, but they made these accusations. And of course, the emperor was concerned about the stability of his city, a city that had been named after him, quite a significant city. And he was found guilty. He was held in high esteem in Gaul, however. Uh, the emperor died in 337. He was allowed to return to Alexandria. Uh, but the new emperor, Constantine II, renewed the exile of Athanasius in 338. He appealed to Pope Julius, who took up his case. And we'll come and consider how the popes came to be in the future. Uh, but Pope Julius, the popes were already in place at this particular time. Uh, he took up his case. A synod of bishops proclaimed his innocence. Gregory of Cappadocia was an Arian, and he had become the bishop of Alexandria in the stead of Athanasius, who had been in contact with his church through the use of letters, even though he was exiled. A synod in 340 proclaimed him to be the rightful bishop of Alexandria. In 343, another synod was held, and he was again questioned regarding his conduct. He was questioned about uh, the murder of a bishop who was missing, and his enemies uh, brought, it is said they produced what they claimed to be the hand of this miss, missing bishop. And this is where things seem to be absolutely crazy. All these accusations against this man, a uh, bishop goes missing, he's blamed for doing it, uh, the hand appears, and they tried to get him in bother for murder. And what would that do? That would silence him. Silence the man who was standing against the error of the day. You see, if you believe that Christ is not God, and you deny his divinity, it moves you into a whole new realm in Christianity. Many false doctrines and heresies do that. You move away. I mean, you can think of, for example, uh, the... Old Testament law doesn't apply today. That's what some would say. And so if you take the Ten Commandments being that Old Testament law, oh, they don't apply to me today. Therefore, keeping the Sabbath, and keeping the Sabbath is the day of worship, that doesn't apply to me. And coming to worship God isn't so essential as it ought to be. And you could think, for example, of many of those other commandments. Well, you know, I don't need to take these commandments seriously because they're not directed to me. They don't apply to me. They apply to the Jews. And of course, God's Word gets watered down. The law gets watered down. And there are heresies like Arianism that water down our understanding of Christ and His gospel. And as I said before, the Unitarian Church in uh, Ireland that came about through the separation between the Presbyterian Church and uh, those that practice Arian and Unitarian doctrine, and we'll come to consider more of that, but that denomination today is called a non-subscribing Presbyterian church because they don't subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. They believe in Unitarian doctrine. And that denomination, I think, is the most liberal Presbyterian denomination on the island of Ireland because of its support for LGBT, uh, among other things. Uh, anything goes but the doctrine of the divinity of Christ and those Arian doctrines that influence them, they're at the foundation of all of that. And so if Christ is brought down, your doctrine, what you believe, what you practice is brought down. 
as well. And this is what was happening. They were turning to lies and deceit and manipulation and trying to cause problems and to get rid of this man of truth by any means possible. Telling a lie was justified as long as they got rid of the man of truth. Pope Julius died in 352. The new pope was favorable to Athanasius, but after a couple of years, uh, the pope was sent into exile, and a fourth condemnation of Athanasius took place in 356 at the Council of Milan, and later that year, a group of armed men burst into a service to secure his arrest, and his third exile began. <laughs> he remained in the desert for six years. He lived as a monk and devoted himself to writing. In 361, Emperor Julian took the throne. He passed an edict allowing exiled bishops to return home. In 362, Athanasius called a council at Alexandria. He sought to appeal for unity among Christians. He worked toward defining the doctrine of the Trinity, and the council passed a series of consequences for those who denied the divinity of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as his humanity. And so the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen as absolutely important and vital. He is not fully human and not divine. He is not fully divine and not human, uh, but he is God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever, as the catechism teaches. Uh, the great mystery of the person of Christ, how can that be? Uh, well, God has decreed and purposed for that to be so. And so Athanasius believed that Christ was fully man, but also fully God. And later that year, he was ordered to leave Alexandria once again and remained in exile in the desert until the emperor died in 363. In 364, another new emperor ordered the exile of bishops who had been previously exiled uh, by one of the previous emperors, uh, but allowed to return under the emperor Jovian. Athanasius quietly then went into exile again. And after a uh, period of time, he returned. He spent the final years of his life preaching, teaching, writing, and defending the truths for, set forth by the Council of Nicaea. And he died in 373. <clears throat> so you have a summary of his life and a summary of his exiles, his up and down and all sorts of things happening. Uh, the emperor changed and he could go free, and the emperor changed again, and he went into exile. It was constant, and it gives us a picture of what life was like within the church at that particular time. The influence of Arianism and the influence of all of these doctrines that uh, were against what Scripture teaches and the orthodox faith caused all these issues. It's a time of uncertainty time of division, debate, and disagreement about biblical doctrine. And we see that in how he was treated and how he had to go into exile so often. There's a lesson for us. If we hold and we stand for the truth, there are consequences. There are consequences. In Western society, standing for the truth is perhaps much easier as it was for Athanasius but it hasn't always been such, and it won't always be such. I spoke 
uh, some weeks ago about a minister within the Irish Presbyterian Church in the early 50s. This is part of the history of the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster, how that minister uh, was accused of sin, and the congregation were talking about it. There was an elder went to him and spoke to him about the concerns that people were raising and the congregation were talking about, and uh, that conversation didn't go too well. Uh, this elder was in, was on his farm, and the minister arrived with some of his elders. Uh, the minister was believed to have been under the influence of alcohol, and he was believed to have been an amateur boxer as well. And what did he do? He beat this man so hard that it is said that even his daughter could hardly recognize him. And so, man professing to be a minister of Christ acted in such a way. And when you stand for truth, or when you stand against sin, even in Western society, there are those who do not like it. Those who do not like it. And that was 70, 73, 4, 5 years ago. It's not that, it's not that long ago. You know, it wasn't something that happened in the darkest part of the jungle or in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of some foreign country. It was something that happened in established Western society. And so Athanasius knew what it was to stand for the Lord. Are we prepared to suffer? Are we prepared to go through hardship? Because we believe the truth of God so much. We will not deny it. That we will not go with the flow if it is going outside of Scripture. A Christian historian summed up Athanasius' life. He set his name to the creed which expressed his belief, the Athanasian creed. And for 50 years, he stood unswervingly by that confession. Every argument that ingenuity could invent was used to prove it false. Bishops met together in great numbers, condemned his views, and invoked upon him the curse of God. Emperors took sides against him, banished him time and time again, and chased him from place to place, setting a reward on his head. At one time, all the bishops of the church were persuaded or coerced into pronouncing sentence against him, so that the phrase originated Athanasius against the world. But with all this pressure bearing upon him, he changed his ground not one inch. His clear eyes saw the truth once. And he did not permit his conscience to tamper with temptations to deny it. His loyalty to the truth made him a great power for good and a great blessing to the churches of his own and of all times. What a testimony to this man. What a testimony to God's grace and God's working and God's spirit within his life strengthening him to, to stand. Oh, that we would take such a stand. Oh, that we would place great value upon the truth. <coughs> That's what Elijah did. He didn't go with the flow. He stood for God's truth. Jeremiah did the same. And both men, both men had their troubles to deal with. So we have the Athanasian Creed. It is one of the clearest definitions of the Trinity and the Incarnation ever written. It is not believed to have been written by Athanasius. 
but it contains a summary of those doctrines and truths that he loved, defended, and preached. And I think we could view this in the same way as we would view Calvinism. And John Calvin did not invent Calvinism. He did not set forth the five points of Calvinism. That came later on after Calvin's death. And because these truths he preached and he defended and he taught, so uh, the five points within the Synod of Dort are referred to as Calvinism. We would call them the doctrines of grace. But Calvin's name is upon them because he preached them. He was associated with them. He made them popular uh, through the preaching and teaching that he did from the Word of God. And uh, while he had, he was not around at the Synod of Dort, he had passed away. Uh, so Athanasius, it is believed that he had passed away before this creed was written. But it sums up what he taught and what he believed, what he stood for. And it says, who whosoever will be saved. Before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, the universal faith, that orthodox faith. That's what's in view here. Which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled. Without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost, but the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreate, the Son uncreate, and the Holy Ghost uncreate. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, but one created and one incomprehensible. So likewise the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Ghost almighty. And yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. And yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, and the Holy Ghost Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be both God and Lord, so we are forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there be three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made, nor created, but begotten. And so, uh, the creed continues. We won't uh, read it all, uh, but it's there in full. And it says at the end, this is the Catholic faith, the universal orthodox faith, uh, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. And there is a similar section to the Apostles' Creed uh, regarding the Savior, who he is, what he did for salvation. This is the faith which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. And you see, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ, the truths that are set forth here are the greatest truths man could ever know. The greatest truths we could ever know. To those who are younger here and have their life ahead of them, these truths contained in this creed, contained in Scripture, the truths about Christ, are the greatest truths you could ever find out. No matter what 
you might do in life, no matter what university you may attend, no matter how much learning you have, these are the greatest truths you could ever find because they are about Christ. They are about the Savior of sinners. They are about the one who can save those who are dead in trespasses and in sins. They are truths concerning the Son of God who humbled Himself and became flesh and died to save His people. The greatest truths. And the greatest truths have the greatest application of truth in this world. For it is by Christ we are saved. It is through the power of Christ that we can live for Him. It is through the great work of Christ that for all eternity we will be with Him. There is no greater truth because the other truths in this world, whatever they might be, or the knowledge of this world, it's a temporal knowledge. The knowledge of Christ, it's a spiritual knowledge. It's an eternal knowledge. It's a knowledge that is most necessary for us. The greatest truth that man could know. How to have peace with God. How to be justified. Athanasius believed that. Henry Cook believed that. The Apostle Paul believed that. We believe that, do we not? It is the greatest truth, and therefore, let us defend it. Let us love it. Let us value it. We may not understand everything. We may understand more than what we did some years ago, and hopefully that is the case because we're learning. But we may not understand every single thing. We may not have heard the name Athanasius before we came and considered him in our studies. But yet what an example he set for standing for truth, for loving Christ. Oh, that we would, by the Lord's grace and through the Lord's help, be such who see that truth of the gospel and take it and seek the Spirit to apply to our lives that we would indeed live for Him. We'll close there, and we trust that the Lord's Word would be a blessing to us. Athanasius, of course, was a great writer as well. There are many of his writings, and many of his writings are to do with the person, the deity of Christ. He wrote on the Incarnation. He wrote against Arians. He wrote about the Trinity. And so being in the time period he was in, a lot of his writings uh, would be about these particular matters. And it would be, I suppose, uh, like the early days of the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster in Northern Ireland, uh, a lot of the preaching was against ecumenism, about Churches being united and joining together and denying the gospel in doing so, being united with Roman Catholics for services uh, and all those various things as well. That was the background, the historical background within the church. And so a lot of his writings were to do with that as well. But we'll close and we'll seek the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy goodness and grace toward us. We thank thee for Athanasius, and though he lived many, many centuries ago, uh, though we know, and as we will consider in due time, that as heresies and errors began to creep within the church, uh, some of these men were not immune uh, to influencing regarding these things. But, uh, Lord, on the subject we've considered, 
regarding the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we see this man as a defender of the faith, as a man who stood with others uh, throughout history. Those before him, those even who came after him, to defend Christ and to defend uh, his person and his work. And Lord, we pray that each one of us would treasure the Savior and treasure his work and not deny it. Lord, we would see the seriousness of it. We would see the seriousness of knowing the truth, that we would not have a carefree attitude to whether we hear the truth or not, but Lord, we would desire the truth above all things. We pray that thou would apply these things to us. Give us a desire to learn more of the great history of thy church and for us to see the errors and heresies that came in in days of old uh, to encourage us to keep a watchful eye today lest some of these heresies and errors repeat and we find uh, these things amongst us. Lord, give us watchful spirits. May we lean upon thee and upon thy spirit for help and strength and grace. And bless us. Bless thy worship today. And do us good. And teach us and feed us through thy precious word. And glorify thy name, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.